This is the CR Checkup Podcast. My name is John. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ that struggles with drugs, alcohol, and pride. And you're listening to a Testimony Talk. On our Testimony Talks, we get a chance to hear from someone who has taken the steps and applied them to their own life. This gives us the opportunity to see how the program works and to gain hope that we might have similar experiences. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have each and every one of you here listening. Um, today I have a very special guest as we list, we have our testimony talk here. Um, Dustin, would you would you introduce yourself for us? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery every day from codependency, from sexual sin, and from the fallout from bipolar disorder, and my name is Dustin. Hey, Dustin. Hey. <laughs> Glad to have you here, man. It's good to be here. Uh, so, so uh, you came out on Monday night and shared a bit of your testimony. It was so awesome, man. Really, really grateful for that opportunity. A little bit of backstory. Um, I uh, was, I've been working to try to get a, a guy out who shared his testimony at RCR like three years ago. And there's something that he shared in his testimony that just really blew my mind and really helped me progress in my recovery. And so ever since then, I've been trying to get him back. So right before, um, right before COVID hit and we locked down, I had him scheduled. Well, that went out. So then as soon as we came back, I had him scheduled and then he had emergency surgery. And so finally, thing after thing after thing, um, got him nailed down for the end of October. And then uh, Monday during the day, I realized that I made the fateful, uh, 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 you know, mistake that I scheduled him for Friday instead of Monday. <laughs> so in a frantic, I'm reaching out, trying to find somebody, um, had some correspondent with you earlier in the year, uh, shot out that message to you. And just right away, you were like, yep, I'll be there, which was such a huge relief. So thank you for that. But what I kind of wanted to share was, is that like, this is what's so beautiful about CR. And I was sharing with some of uh, my peers at work. It's like, you know, this is uh, kind of the perks of working for the big guy. <laughs> you know, it's like no matter how hard I try to screw everything up, uh, he just swoops in and, and makes things happen. And uh, your your testimony uh, was something that I needed to hear. There's conversations that I've been having with folks at CR that I knew you were talking about things um, that were just so on point for, for them in their lives um, and uh, some other things that we'll get into a little bit later. So I just wanted to say, man, thank you so much. I know that was a, a God-ordained thing, and um, I hope that it was as much of a blessing for you as it was for, for me and for our family at Palm Valley. No, absolutely. And I really appreciate the invitation to come out because uh, people say this all the time, but it really is the truth. Uh, the person that needed to hear the testimony the most that day was actually me. Yeah. It had been, um, it'd been kind of a rough week and things had been going sideways a little bit and yeah. I had started to get the poor me's going on a little bit <laughs> and looking at how rough my life was. And one of the things that sharing your testimony does is it kind of really brings into perspective for you where you've been, what God's done for you and where you really are. Um, and as, as rough as my, my week was going, sharing my testimony reminded me that I've had rougher times. Mm. and that I've survived him and that God has shown up for him and that if he can do that through some of the really major um, train wreck 
that was my life, <laughs> then he can certainly help me through a, a, a stickier or rough, you know, couple of days in the beginning of the week or, or four or five days in a row. So I really needed to hear um, God's blessings in my life. Um, and and it's, what's interesting about telling um, your, or sharing your testimony, rather, is that you're not sharing your story. You're sharing his story through your life. Yeah. So yeah. you get this this wonderful dichotomy, this great um, balance between hearing a first person and a third person story happening all at the same time. <laughs> and so yeah. I get to both uh, share what God did for me and also hear a great redemption story that God's telling. And I just happen to be the guy in the middle of it. So uh, I was really, really thankful that you, uh, that you had me out and that I had the opportunity to share that because I really needed to hear it. Praise God, man. Yeah. I love that. And that's such a great perspective. Um, Cause yeah, I definitely share when, whenever I'm having conversations with people, it's like, I don't know. It doesn't even seem like it's really happened for me. You know, it's so unbelievable what God has done and is, is continuing to do. And yeah, it's like, it doesn't feel that way all the time. And then when I share about it, I'm like, Oh yeah, God has done some amazing, incredible miracles in my life. And uh, so, yeah, what a, what a great reminder. And I, I love that perspective. Thanks. Thanks for that. So um, uh, like I said, Monday night, a lot of us got to hear some of your testimony, but I would just love for those who were listening might've missed it or they don't even come to our CR. Uh, could you just give them a, a little overview? What brought you into the program? Uh, what was your experience like and, and uh, where are you at now? Oh, absolutely. Um, my story um, begins with a lot of folks in my childhood where I had um, uh, loving but strongly dysfunctional family uh, surrounding me with my parents, both experiencing a lot of stress from um, the being in poverty and also in their relationships with each other, trying to get through that, which would spill over into, you know, physical and verbal altercations between them. And I'd be stuck in the middle of that with my uh, older brother and my younger brothers. Um, that led to a lot of the uh, abuse I, I was um, a victim of from my older brother because that was his means of coping. Mm -hmm. And that abuse um, was all different kinds of abuse, which included sexual abuse. And that sexual abuse then opened the door to um, awareness of sexuality at such a young age that it kind of shaped my own addictive behaviors. And those addictive behaviors uh, became my coping mechanism early in my life. And then Later, um, combined with those um, addictive behaviors, I, I started to notice that I was having a hard time regulating my, um, my moods and regulating my reactions to things um, as I got into my early and mid-20s. Um, and that eventually came with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which caused me to have issues with um, being able to uh, regulate my mood in manic times, being extremely excited, extremely... Um, Overamped uh, a lot of times, not being able to control my emotions on the positive side, racing thoughts, not getting any sleep, um, being um, agitative to the point of almost abusive to my own family, mm -hmm. and then during the depressive times, that had me being completely withdrawn, completely unmotivated, uh, lethargic, um, isolated from my family, checked out from my own life, um, and unable to manage my own. Um, just basic upkeep, things like showering and brushing your teeth were a, a foreign concept. Mm -hmm. Or I would go days um, and days of sleeping in a row where I'd sleep, you know, I'd come home from work, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, come home, go to sleep for uh, a month mm -hmm. where there was no interaction with anybody else because I had to keep the job to keep the food on the table. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do anything else because I simply didn't have the energy. And I would ride this roller coaster with uh, 
uh, for a while. Uh, when my wife was doing her best to kind of raise our family as it was growing, but she was doing that by herself. And um, I started falling into mixed state episodes, which is both mania and depression at the same time, which is really hard to describe, mm. but is um, it combines the worst of both of those worlds. And that progressed for years in my life. Um, after a, a failed suicide attempt, I got scared enough to go talk to somebody and the uh, doctor I talked to described this as bipolar disorder and said that it's something that happens with folks and that it's prescribed some medication and some life changes like exercise and diet and um, being aware of a sleep schedule. And, and these things started to make a change in my life, but I relied more heavily on these changes than I did on the God who gave those changes to my doctor to give to me. Right. And as a result, those, those quick changes um, saw quick results, but those results didn't last. And they didn't last in a way they don't for a lot of folks with mental health um, uh, challenges. Uh, medications were great. They made me feel fine. I feel better. I don't need to take my meds was the logic. And it's a faulty mm -hmm. logic, but right. it's the one that I fell right into. And with that one domino falling, all the rest of the dominoes very quickly fell behind it. So after going through this roller coaster for, you know, 11 years, um, my wife finally got sick of it in 2011 and she um, left and she took half of our kids with her. And that moment was the moment that broke me. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the one that finally said, you know, I'm, I'm not able to do this anymore. And frankly, I don't know if I want to, but I know that if I go forward another step in this life, I can't do it alone. I can't do it mm -hmm. by myself. I had been raised in the church. And so I knew of God, and I knew all of the book knowledge of God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And I had spent years every once in a while dipping my toes back into the church or coming in for the God fix that says, okay, God, I messed up. If you just save my life, you make that whatever deal you make with him. If you save my life, I yeah. promise I'll be better. And then you, he, he, he helps you because he loves you and he puts you back on your feet. And then you promptly don't hold up your end of the bargain. That's me mm -hmm. at yeah. least. So that was, that was um, me. And I was on my, my front porch and, and I, I couldn't take another step. And I physically fell to my knees and gave everything that I had and all that I was to Christ right there in that moment mm -hmm. and said, I don't care what it is. I, I need help. And um, I share my testimony that it was a very real physical comfort that I got from God, that I could feel the presence of God wrap his arms around me mm -hmm. and I could hear the Holy Spirit whisper into my ear that I wasn't alone, that he was there with me, that it was okay to ask for help, that, that it was going to be okay. And um, what's interesting about all of this, and this is the fun part that, that, that a lot of folks don't get, is there's God's been weaving this thread of how he's going to save my life and use me my whole life. And mm -hmm. one of those thread points came together in, the, in this tapestry he's weaving right in that exact moment. You see, when I mentioned that um, uh, sexuality was introduced into me as a very young age, I was highly sexually active in high school. And I had, um, in an experience in high school, unbeknownst to me, had a daughter. Mm. Well, 17 years later, um, six months before this event, in fact, um, I move out to a new house in, in Queen Creek. And I'm taking my kids trick-or-treating. And I go over once, one block over to the north and one block over to the west and knock on a door and a... 17-year-old female version of me answers the door and we make eye contact. And that's how I met my daughter for the very first time. Mm -hmm. And um, 
we started to build a relationship and get to know each other a little bit over the next six months. Um, well, as I'm on my knees in my front porch, she's only a block and a half away and she sees me struggling mm. and uh, she's driving home from, from school. And so she reaches out and says, Hey, I, um, I work in the children's ministry at this thing called Celebrate Recovery. <laughs> and uh, I don't think you should be alone. Why don't you come check it out? And so that's how I found my way into Celebrate Recovery. At the exact low moment of my life, God put my, used my daughter to bring me through the doors where he could start introducing and reintroducing his love for me back into my life and what his plan was as opposed to mine. And it's been an amazing journey since. So cool, man. I, I love that. And there's just so much there, you know, that <clears throat> that's always the difficult part with testimonies, right? You're like, how do I shorten this? And, you know, there's a, it's so much more complex than a 20 minute testimony, but I got to kind of shove it all in here. Um, but f first off, uh, I w I'm just wondering for those who listen, what is, what does recovery look like with mental health? That's an excellent question. Um, it looks like most recovery. Mm -hmm. One of the things that a couple of statistics I like to talk about is on a regular year, and I don't think 2020 qualifies by a, by a, by a <laughs> site, yeah. but on a, on a regular year, one in five um, people have a diagnosable mental health condition in that year. That goes beyond they're just depressed, not which I wouldn't say just because depression is huge. Yeah. Um, they're depressed or they're anxious or there's something else going on in, in a, an emotion that they're experiencing in the healthy way or in, in a... I don't want to use the word normal because that's just a setting on the dryer, but um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, in more of a, in more of a common, commonly experienced way, this is a diagnosable mental health condition that people would be uh, receiving medical care for because it's having an impact in their life so much so that it's, it meets diagnostic criteria. That's one in five. Mm -hmm. um, the numbers I've been seeing coming out of NAMBI for this year, that's closer to one in three now. Now that statistic goes up even higher with the next one, which is that 50% of all people that have a substance uh, issue or a um, chemical issue of some kind also have a comorbidity, which is a coexisting condition with mental right. health. And then on the other side of that, 50% of all people with mental health challenges also have a, a obsessive or compulsive um, addiction issue as well. So whether right. you're coming from the mental health side or the addiction side, the number is 50%. That means every time you're sitting in a recovery room, half of those people are having a mental health struggle that's diagnos diagnosable. Right. So mental health in recovery is the base reality for it. But like everything else in recovery, if you don't know that you're, you don't know what you don't know, I guess is exactly. the best way to say it. So yeah. you don't know what, if, if, how it fits in there until you start to really kind of peel that onion back and look at it. Yeah. So um, I guess that's the best way I can describe its prevalence at least. No, that's really good. I mean, I think that's important to add that perspective of just how, just prevalent uh, mental health is in recovery in general. And just, I don't know, I think that uh, mental health is very mystified in the sense of it's like, you know, I don't know, uh, people don't really fully understand how common it is and how many threads are weaved into just like normal life, you know, uh, right. <laughs> quotably uh, normal life. And um, I think, I mean, for me personally, recovery in the 12 steps and the eight principles have more to do with mental health than it does with substance use disorders or 
any um, process addictions, um, you know, that first step, it, I admit it that I have, uh, you know, my life is uh, unmanageable and I'm powerless over this thing, right? That's step one. Mm -hmm. But then steps two through 12 all have to do with the emotional aspect of that. Why am I doing those things and all of the other things that are going on inside my life? And so, um, yeah, the 12 steps in recovery are more about my mental health <laughs> than it, it, about me not drinking or drugging or doing whatever it is that um, is kind of that that symptom of what I've been experiencing my entire life or, you know, whenever those things begin to pop up. So I think that's a great perspective. And, and um, the reason why I ask is nine times out of 10, when I invite people um, who are struggling with mental health issues, um, they're like recovery, what? you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, you know, I don't do drugs. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is, for some, this is so much bigger than that. And um, I always like to have conversations with people, folks uh, that have experience um, to just kind of be another, another voice to share. Um, no, this is so much bigger than not, not doing drugs. You know, if, if God yeah. brought me into recovery just so I wouldn't drink, um, you know, that would still be a very boring and very, uh, screwy life, you know? And, uh, I, I heard at a meeting one time, a guy was sharing, he's like, you know, um, I gave, I gave that alcohol to, to God, but my life didn't change. And, uh, he said, come to find out, uh, he didn't want my alcohol. He's like, he doesn't even drink, you know, why, why did he, he doesn't, <laughs> you know, that's not what he wants. You know, he wants a relationship. He wants, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that obedience and, um, a very small fraction of that has to do with any type of process addiction or, or chemical addiction. So, yeah, man, there was one other thing too that uh, you didn't share now, but you shared on Monday uh, that I would love to really expand on. I think you said it so beautifully. You, you called it um, um, a geographical sobriety. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's I, one of the things it's one of those things that, um, that uh, I picked up along the way is that uh, people kind of rely a lot on, on what I call a geographical sobriety, which is if I just geographically relocate, if I just move as far away from my problems physically as I can, obviously I'll escape them. They'll stay there. I'll go somewhere new and everything will be great. And I think everybody I know that's been in recovery at one point or another has had some version of this, whether it's <laughs> geographically separating from a relationship that they're in or geographically separating from a job that they're in, or even just moving to another state like, a, like I did a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, it's this idea that the problems exist outside of you and you're trying mm -hmm. to get away from them that way. And yeah. there is a level of newness that hits the new place you go to or the new relationship you're in or the new job you take or the new um, start you get with family members maybe even. And that feels new at the beginning. Um, and it has a lot to do with this, this um, concept of, of a group dynamic um, mm -hmm. that where, where groups are formed. It's the same thing that happens in personal lives is there's these stages of dynamics that happen. Um, the first one is, it goes form, storm, norm, and perform. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. <laughs> I haven't. Basically, think about the last time you had a group project for something. The very first stage is form. That's the one when you get that geographic relocation and you show up and it's brand new and no one wants to step on anybody's toes and everyone's mm -hmm. the best version of themselves. <laughs> no one wants to take the last piece of cake. And everyone's just like, no, you go first. No, you go first. Oh, gee, thank you so much. You are so awesome. And that's the first stage of group dynamic development. And that also happens in individual relationships, even with yourself. Then the next step right after form is storm. And that's, 
I'm tired of giving everything in. I want the last piece of cake. No, my, no, no, me first. Yeah. No, what about this. me? And then, mm-hmm. then it becomes, I'm tired of being given all this stuff up and no one's respecting it. And then, then the, the problems immediately resurface. Mm-hmm. And then eventually what happens in, in group dynamic is people figure out um, how to find that balance between the compromise and the assertiveness that they need to have for their life and for other people's. And then you start to, to norm or normalize. Mm-hmm. And then once things get normal, that's when you can perform and you can start to advance and accelerate how you, you do. And a lot of folks in recovery experience this from this, when they walk into recovery, steps one, two, and awesome three are great form steps. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is awesome. This is exactly what I want. Of course, I'm stepping out of denial. Of course, I want to <laughs> you know, make changes. Of course, God can have it all. And then the very next thing you drop into is, is um, principle four where the storm starts. Now it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is where I'm going to put the challenge to you to have to do things. And if you make it through that storm, then you start to normalize your life. And then you start to really perform and move to the heights that God has for you. And so geographic location is all about just trying to find a brand new form every couple of minutes and, and live in that space where oh, everything's shiny and new and it's nice. And then eventually the storm always follows. Yeah. I love, um, no, I think that's so great. And I'm definitely going to uh, study that some more because I think um, there's just so much there that I think uh, can be expanded on and, that's just a very, very great uh, piece of knowledge to have and understanding how those things work. And um, it even just fits into what I understand about uh, the disease of addiction being a biopsychosocial disorder. Like there is that very real social piece of it. And like you're talking, um, it can seem like that social part of it's being disrupted and that might be needed and that might be a, a good thing. But with, without looking at those biopsycho parts of it and understanding um, you know, like the ancient poet Rumi says, wherever you go, there you are, right? Mm-hmm. And I still have that psychological piece of it. I still have that biological piece of it. And if I just change that social piece, it's not going to be enough. You know, I got to I gotta look at every single aspect of that, heal from it, and then, you know, continue moving on. A guy who used to come to the program, he also used to say, wherever I go, egos, you know? <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true too. I like that a lot. I know that um, it's, and, and when you talk about that, that biopsychosocial, one of the, from the psychological perspective, which kind of loops the mental health back into it a little bit is the idea that there is a far cry difference between recovery and sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I think that from a mental health standpoint, folks that would say, Oh, I'm not addicted to this or that there's still a sobriety issue there and it has everything yep. to do with stewardship. It has to do with how you, you manage the illness you're given. And to, mm. for, for me, sobriety in the fallout from bipolar disorder has everything to do with surrendering um, ownership of my life back to Christ and, mm-hmm. and having humility in seeking help when I need it and listening to the accountability I put around me um, and stewardship in taking my meds and doing the things I know that are right and staying away from the things I know will get me in trouble yeah. as much as I possibly can. But I still think that even when you, whether you're looking at it from a mental health issue or you're looking at it from the um, chemical side of it or the addictive side of it or compulsive side, um, mm-hmm. and we've just talked earlier about how those are actually oftentimes the same thing because yeah. you're experiencing both, that um, the reason that the biopsychosocial is so important is that that, psych- that psychological part deals with um, uh, addressing the, the thoughts, actions, feelings, and beliefs behind what you do. Exactly. I tell my kids all the time here that why you do what you do is infinitely more important than what you do. 
Exactly. Which is a fancy way of saying what my dad used to say is that a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can get it right and not really be doing it right. And it's not going to help you out a lot. And so working on the thoughts, the actions, the feelings and beliefs uh, behind what you're doing, it's actually an approach called cognitive behavioral therapy that a lot of um, counselors use. But mm-hmm. it's, it's embedded into a lot of what we do here at Celebrate Recover. We start saying, okay, this is what you're doing, but why are you doing it? Yeah. What are your thoughts behind it? And your thoughts are not my thoughts, says God. And your ways are not my ways, says uh. God. <laughs> and so when you start to learn to align to his thoughts and his ways and his actions, his feelings, his beliefs for your life, then things become infinitely better. And then you start to, to establish a true recovery in your life. Mm-hmm. but sobriety becomes that first step because sobriety is the ticket to ride this ride. Sobriety mm-hmm. is the, the um, ticket to lucidity. Mm-hmm. And once you have lucidity and you can think clearly enough to make decisions, those next few sets of decisions to turn it over to him are what really reward you. Totally. And I, I love this conversation and part of your testimony and just how it kind of came up uh, because it goes so well with what we're talking about right now um, at CR with step four, you know, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And what we've really been trying to capitalize on this year is like understanding that, you know, this isn't building like this, this worksheet of like, like, Oh, now I can see how screwed up I am. And like, you know, I carry this around with me to show everybody, Hey, look, look how screwed up John is. And like, you know, that's not why we're doing this. You know, it's not to have, a receipt of all of the, you know, a reminder of why I'm so bad. It's to recognize these things as you're sharing, you know, to see those different patterns in my life that I can understand why I'm doing the things I'm doing, not just so that I can know it, but so that I can make those corrections where it needs to be and that I can heal from those things in the past. Oh, you know, I didn't make that decision or do this thing just because I'm a wretched sinner, although that's true, (laughs) but because of these things that happen, you know, and because of these different types of things and I'm not blaming them, but I'm having a full and true understanding so that I can heal from it and then hopefully make better decisions in the future. So, um, Obviously, it sounds like you've got a lot of uh, knowledge and a lot of experience with this, but just to share with our listeners a little bit, what was step like for uh, step four for you like, and uh, what's just some, some things you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, well, one of the things that the first time I did step four, um, I was super hungry to get rid of pain. Mm-hmm. I did what a lot of people do when they come into um, recovery is I'm, t- I'm so tired of of hurting, I need to stop hurting and I will do whatever you tell me to do so that, that pain goes away. Um, Rick Warren likes to say that people don't come to Christ because they see the light. They come because they feel the heat. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I experienced that in a very real way. Um, mm-hmm. And so being there in that fourth step, um, I needed to get some pain relief. And so mm-hmm. I thought that this would fix it all. And what I didn't realize is how incredibly hard this process actually is. And that just like when you um, need to uh, fix something physical that's hurt with you, sometimes it hurts worse before it feels better. That was a lot of this experience. So my very first experience was step four is not going to magically and immediately make it feel better. In fact, it's probably going to make it feel worse for a little bit because it's Mm -hmm. hard. Another thing, it goes back to that concept of lucidity, that concept of being able to clearly and distinctly perceive your reality and your history. Um, Mm -hmm. Step four was the place where I really delved into my early childhood abuses that I had suppressed and not thought about and 
done my very best to protect myself with by blocking from my head. And it was through that process and through um, prayer and through uh, discernment God was giving and through um, people that he was bringing along with, with me when I was going through this process that I started to unpack that for the first time in my life. And it helped mm-hmm. me understand why it was that I did some things in my life, what the influence was. Not Well, the, the primary reason I did these things is because I chose to. Well, mm-hmm. I'll start there. That, that's not an excuse, but it is right. a contributing factor. And so understanding that, that these are the influences that, that made that choice easier for me to make. Exactly. Um, once I started to unpack that, then my life started to make a little more sense. Um, the other thing I discovered in this process of step four is that it's never done. Mm-hmm. It is a lifetime work in progress. Those folks that know me know that I am a, a very, um, what's a good word for it? Meticulous is a, is a kind word for it. Anal's, I've heard, anal's a better word I've heard for it before. It's a, but I'm very, um, I'm very um, focused when it comes to doing high detail work. Yeah. So if I'm going to make a list, I'm going to have a, a 16 page, two column bullet points, color coded list. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I do. And I approached my inventory this way, thinking it had to be the most complete thing that it was ever created in order for mm-hmm. it to be functional. It had to be all on paper and exactly there and go through. And I really pained myself mm-hmm. to be as, as thorough as humanly possible. And it was, it was, um, a substantial little list. It was a, it was 16 <laughs> pages front and back, the whole nine small font typed. Nice. And then what was great was God let me share that with a a really loving and caring brother um, when I got a chance to share that step. And then the next thing he shared were five people that weren't on the list on the drive home. So it was the idea of, oh, you forgot this person, and this person needs to be added, and this person, just to make the idea clear to me that this is a work in progress, that I will continuously be making this list um, until they put dirt on me at the end of it. That's when the, the process is over. And that's okay because that's the kind of change I really want in my life is I really want a change where if there's, you know, Psalm 139, search my iPhone, find anything that makes you sad. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I want is I want anything that makes God sad to be out of my life. I want to find it and get it, get it cleared up. Yeah. So that's another thing I think I would, I would tell folks about this process is first, um, it's not going to feel better initially. It might feel worse, but trust it. You're going to get through it. You've got people around you that love you that are going to help you get through it. Um, the second one is that it's never done. So don't, mm-hmm. don't stop because it's not complete or it's not getting finished. Just keep moving forward with it. And I think one other thing to tell people about the, uh, the, the process is that it's designed to show you so much more, like you said, than just um, a history of your wrongdoings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, one of the, the, the key takeaways I got when I went through my um, step four by sharing that step four was that I had a, a sponsor I shared it with who had a, uh, a pen and he would circle the same mm. word that kept popping up in my inventory throughout, mm. you know? So one of the things I would do is I would isolate. So mm. when somebody did something, I didn't like it. I would just back away from them. And so he would just, you know, there's isolate. Here's mm. isolate. I noticed in of these 16 pages, 11 of them have you isolating. <laughs> So if you notice that you're isolating, this might be an issue. <laughs> you know? yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, gives, it gives a reason to look back as to not only what's happened in your past, but how it impacts your present and potentially helps you make some corrections that you can work with with God to get to a better future. Yeah. And so seeing those patterns of development are huge. Yeah. Um, I'm, a big fan, I'm a big fan of using this as a, as a forever tool, not just a process tool I did once and I got in that step of the step study, but as a continuous piece. 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's just so much like, like a lot of recovery where it's like, I can't even explain to you in its entirety what this is going to do for you. I just know that if you're willing to be obedient, that God's going to do something amazing in your life. And it might not even be something that, you know, is happening in the majority of people who are doing it. You just don't know. You know, I just know for sure God's going to show up if you take this step and, and move forward. And yes, I do think it's important always to remind people, especially with step four, what we say, you know, it's like, hey, you're growing. And when you grow, you have growing pains. And mm-hmm. But just remind yourself that pain is not a pain. I think so oftentimes when people travel back into their past, much like I did, I feel like I'm getting beat up by the past. And I try to remind myself like, no, that's not me being hurt again by the past. That's the pain of it leaving forever. You know, I don't, right, right. I don't have to experience that pain anymore. And this is unlike the other times I've visited the past and keep burning coals on my head to, you know, make myself feel terrible about all these things. No, this is a different one. And it's actually a healing that's taking place. And so, um, yeah, there's, again, there's so much here and I just really love your perspectives on these things. And, um, I really hope that we can talk a little bit more on it <laughs> some other time. Okay. Um, but just to, to wrap us up here, um, I would just love if you would share something for the newcomer, the guys and gals who are just getting started, and uh, also something that you might share to, to people who are listening or who are thinking CR still might not be for them, or um, or maybe they're right on the edge of saying maybe. What what would you say to those guys? Well, let me do the second one first. The first one second. Cool. Uh, for folks that aren't in the door yet, that, that don't that don't think this is for you. Um, there's a lot of phrases we use in celebrate recovery that have been around for a while. Things like there are two kinds of people, people that are in recovery and people that need to be in recovery. Um, it's the, it's kind of the idea that, um, this is a tool that's designed to move you closer to the happiness that God has in your life. And if there's any one thing you can think of, that's kind of slowing down your progress for being completely in a joyous relationship with your creator. And if the thing that just popped in your head, mm-hmm. that's the thing, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> that's a reason to go to celebrate recovery. Uh, the idea is that celebrate recovery for the church folk is a sanctification process. Exactly. It's the idea of being able to keep boiling the water down a little bit and then capturing the pure, the purest of that steam and, and keep moving that closer and closer to a standard God has for you through a process that's easy to understand. If you have an issue of any kind, you usually go to the church and you get the very same basic response. Well, read your Bible and pray and you'll be okay. <laughs> the problem is, what do I read and how do I pray? And yeah. there's, there's more to it. Yeah. And this, this process allows people to not only learn how to come back into communion and connection with Christ in a much deeper, richer means, it also helps them um, find a way to let have things that are in their life controlling them or influencing them have less control and less influence. Yeah. So even if it's not a drug or an alcohol, even if it's not the recovery for abuse, even if it's not judgment or greed or anger or food or throw a rock, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's, if it's something that you'd rather not have in your life, recovery is a great tool for it. Mm-hmm. If no other reason, show up and help other people. And, and, exactly. And see, you'll see that, that that'll help you too in the long run. Yeah. Um, if you're perfect and you've got no issues, then CR is definitely come. the place where yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> need you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please come and show us how to do it. You know, exactly. And then the, the uh, for the newcomer, I would say this, it's different, but not weird. 
So when you're coming into an experience where people for the first time in their lives have a place where they can say literally anything Mm -hmm. in a safe way, Mm -hmm. a place where they can be heard um, every week and have the opportunity to be heard every week. Um, Nobody explained the math to me when I started that three to five minutes of me talking is about 50 minutes of me listening. (laughs) (laughs) So that works out. But that's where the healing happens. You start to hear you're not alone. You start to hear other people have had these experiences. And better yet, they're living past them. They're Mm -hmm. making it. And there's so much hope in knowing that no matter what you're going through, somebody's gotten to the other side of that and is reaching their hand back and saying, I'll help you too. And we create this chain of hands holding hands that all helping us through the strength of everybody's experience and God's unifying thread through all of it, pull us all closer to God. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an amazing thing that's almost impossible to grasp until you experience it. It's one of those unexplainable things about CR. So for the newcomer, I would say um, it's definitely a, a place that's unlike any you've ever been. So it's going to feel weird and it's going to yeah. feel different but it's so worth it if you just keep coming back. It's, it's not a magic wand that gets waved over your life and all of a sudden everything is great. But I will tell you in my own personal experience, even being there even less than a month, um, in that first month I was there, those first 30 days, I felt better. Mm-hmm. In, those first six, in the next 30 days, I felt better. And even when I didn't feel it, I was getting better. Right. And, I, and I don't think there's been a month that's gone by in my life where I haven't had a chance to come back to God in a way that's closer, even in real bad months where I've done everything I can to sprint away from God, even <laughs> after being back in the doors in recovery, which is true. This, you know, the people that are there are, um, I like to tell people that if you, whenever I'm talking to groups in celebrate recovery to look to your left and look to your right, those are people just as screwed up as you. Yeah, so you're home. Good. Welcome. Yeah. You know, welcome. This is where you, this is, this, there's nothing but belonging here. Yeah. So just give it a shot. Keep coming back. Trust that you're worth everything to God and that if you allow him to use this tool to see your worth through his eyes, then you'll start to experience your worth through his plan. Mm. So good, man. Best best I got. It sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I God bless you, man. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy and excited that our, our paths crossed and I, I look forward to seeing how they cross again in the future. So take care, brother. Hey, take care. Thank you so much for taking the time and for having me. This was awesome. And thanks for inviting me out. I really needed it. Um, have a great day. Thank you for listening to A Testimony Talk. I hope that you take what we talk about here and have conversations with others. The things that we talk about on here are meant to start conversations, not end them. So I pray that you would talk with someone about what you heard here today and that you would look for ways to be a light in your own community. If you are struggling to find community and people to talk with, then please send an email to recovery at palmvalley.org and I will personally get you connected with a volunteer from Celebrate Recovery. Nothing changes the fact that we need each other, even if that means that we have to find new and creative ways to do so. You can also send me encouraging messages, comments, or concerns to that same email, recovery at palmvalley.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then please share it with someone else. I love you all, and I hope to see you soon.